Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Robert Cohen. He is the author of the book Milk A to Z and Milk the Deadly Poison. He's also written other books on milk. He is the founder and owner of the website notmilk.com. And I cannot imagine what he's going to tell us today about not milk. I've read his books. They're very alarming. It's definitely a wake-up call. Many people have been talking about how when you drink milk, it creates more mucus and you get more allergies and there's just more problems in the body. Now it's homogenized and pasteurized, which changes the molecular structure of what it is. But there's things we need to know about milk that only someone like Robert Cohen can tell us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Robert Cohen to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be here. But before we get into not milk, I got to compliment you on something. You have no clue what I'm about to say. Okay. The funniest line, I think, in the history of television came from a show, Welcome Back, Kata, where one of the crazy characters was Arnold Horshack, and he was asked what his last name means, and it was just so in character, he explained, it means the cattle are dying. And if you just imagine being given that name, your name, Greenhouse, happens to be one of the best names I have ever heard in my life. It is so fitting. It is so appropriate for you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Robert. There's a couple of things I want to state just in terms of my own limited position and understanding. And I would imagine that the public's is equal to that. Firstly, we know that by pasteurization and homogenization, it changes the molecular structure of what the substance is. So it's not really the milk that's coming out of cows. Oh, absolutely not. It's very different. And therefore, we're not even drinking the same structure of thing we're talking about. And the beneficial aspects of what could be in milk are not there. And so we're not really buying milk, even though we oh, think we are. Oh, you're absolutely right, Kim. As a matter of fact, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture an organic peanut butter and a freshly baked bread and putting a peanut butter and jelly sandwich together. And what's the perfect drink with it? A tall glass of mother's milk. Would you drink that? No. The healthiest cow in America, living in your backyard, mowing your lawn, living in a little barn, you massage it every day. The milk from her is not appropriate from your body. So forget pasteurization and homogenization for a moment. If you want to eat lots of powerful steroid and protein hormones, then by all means, drink the milk from the cow living in your backyard. What about cows that are not given steroids and hormones, like cows on small farms with families living there, and they may have three or four cows? What about that? Are nursing mothers given steroids and hormones? Of course not. But her milk from mom naturally contains powerful hormones. And before mom gives birth to a baby, the milk is instructing her mammary tissue to grow because it's got estrogen and progesterone and prolactin and melatonin and oxytocin. It's got powerful steroid hormones instructing these mammary tissues to get big. Look what's happened to our little girls in America in the last 20 years. How zoftig, how large-breasted they've become. You don't want to be drinking cow's milk from a healthy cow. It's not the hormones they give cows. They don't give cows hormones except for injecting it into their rump to make more milk. Cows naturally have powerful hormones in their milk, lactoferins, immunoglobulins, which, by the way, take a baby cow and and have it gain 500 pounds in three months. That's what milk is all about. You've been called the Antichrist of the dairy industry. Yeah, I'm bad news for for these wonderful dairy farmers, and I love them. They're the hardest workers in America. They bring the work ethic that made America strong. So so they're they're seven days, 24-7, basically, on the farm. They're good people, but... Little did they know that the fourth generation, they're going to take all of the pressure because your milk is loaded with powerful growth hormones, proteins that cause allergies, antibiotics, pesticides, fat, cholesterol, and dioxin. Which one of those things do you want in your body, Kim? Well, let's talk about the pesticides. Are you saying that there's pesticides in it because of the grass that the animal's eating? Not only the grass, um, go into any dairy barn, you're going to see lots of flies, and they cut off the cow's tail so she can't even swat those flies in in the worst region of her body. Well, they put uh, iconocloprid on it, made by by bear. And iconocloprid is the chemical that's been kind of suggested to causing beehive disorder. But you're eating something that has lots of herbicides and pesticides. If you go to the Food and Drug Administration, they have a book called the Green Book, which lists every allowable chemical to be put on crops. And 
the crops fed to dairy cows are allowed to have 50 times more of these dangerous chemicals than, than we eat. So it all concentrates in their bodies, and you're getting it when you drink their milk. So there's really no milk, even if it's not pasteurized and not homogenized. There's really right, no I milk. Suggested, I suggested you drink, if you really want that glass of milk, drink human breast milk. Drink dog milk, because dogs are certainly man's best friend, and, and, and that's got to be delicious. Instinctively, you know not to drink these things because there are substances in there that are not appropriate for your adult body. You're not a cow, and you're not a puppy, and you're not a kitten, and you're not a little piglet. You're not supposed to be drinking milk from these species with these powerful hormones. But what happened to the old days, Robert, where farmers and people were living off water and cow's milk? What about butter? Well, butter takes 21.2 pounds of milk to make a pound of butter. When the pilgrims came to America... A dairy cow only yielded one quart of milk a day, enough to churn into a half a stick of butter every day. They needed the fat to survive. As a matter of fact, uh, 400 years ago, when these pilgrims came to America, the first winter, 15 of the 18 mothers died. Half the men died. All the kids died. That's why they needed the Thanksgiving. Three years later, a ship called the Charity brought the first dairy cow to America. They needed the fat from the butter to survive. And the Native Americans, the Wampanoags, the Abenaki, um, they found out that there was an additional surprise in milk, bovine leukemia, bovine immune deficiency virus, uh, hepatitis, um, yersinia, which also was called the bubonic plague. And it wasn't cowboys shooting the Indians. It was disease that got them. Talk a little bit about dioxins. We know on some level that it's bad, but in your book, it's really bad. Talk about well, it. it's really bad. It's called um, just about every major magazine and news show has done at least one uh, episode on dioxins, calling it the most toxic chemical mankind has ever produced. And it's a cancer causer. And somebody tested Ben and Jerry's vanilla uh, uh, ice cream um, recently and, and found that it contains 300 times the safe level of dioxins. Ben and Jerry were real happy because they said, we're using dioxin-free uh, carton to put our ice cream. Well, for heaven's sake, eat the carton then. But it's loaded with dioxins and these are toxic chemicals. And we pay the price. Um, you get to a certain age, and an average American spends 20 years dying. Sure, we live a long time, but we spend 20 years heart disease, cancer, before we die. Find a country where they spend one week before they die. That's what you want to do is eat their diet. What kind of a diet do you live on? Uh, lately, the last two weeks, uh, you got to promise not to live. <laughs> bananas. Really? Yeah. That's for the last two weeks I've been uh, living on bananas. There's a, um, a trainer that I have in Europe, and we communicate by email. His name is Dr. Douglas Graham. He has a website called foodandsport.com. And... He's taken some interesting people, and the first two weeks that he works with them, they only eat bananas. And the interesting people include Carl Lewis, who is probably the greatest track and field athlete in the history of the world, Martina Navratilova, probably the greatest female tennis player, and lots of um, athletes, including triathletes, are eating bananas. Um, I mixed it up a little bit before. I, I uh, made a banana smoothie instead of just eating plain bananas. So I have lots of variety in my life. But it's the perfect food. We've been looking for the holy grail, for the golden fleece, for the perfect food. It's the banana. Loaded with protein, fat, carbohydrates. Got everything you need. You're a triathlon runner, aren't you? You're a triathlon participant. Well, let me tell you a secret. And, 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 and please don't hold this against me. A year ago, I weighed over 300 pounds. And January 1st, I made a New Year's resolution. I was going to get into the gym and lose 100 pounds, which I did. I lost, and so far, it's 120 pounds. Wow. And I was going to do a triathlon. I signed up for a triathlon in Sag Harbor, New York, paid my $245 fee, and then I worked to do the triathlon. So, yeah, I've done two. I'm going to do the New York City triathlon next year. I got in. I'm very thrilled about that. I'm also going to do what's called a 70.3, which is the total number of mileage wow. for a half Ironman next year. So I'm, I'm getting my body into great shape. Um, I have a new goal. And my new goal is that I want to finish in my age group when I'm 105. I love it. How did you lose that 100 pounds? Um, working hard, eating the right foods, um, eating a plant-based vegan diet, and going to the gym three hours a day. And I'm the first one at the gym every day. I'm there at 5 a.m., either the gym or the swimming pool. And you lift three days or five days a week? Do I lift? Yeah. But we're told that we have to spend a day in between. Right, exactly. So three days I, a week. I lift seven days a week. I don't spend a day in between. See, vegans may not be better athletes as, as 
because they're vegan, but vegans have the ability to recover so dramatically quicker than, than non-vegans. And think about it. When we invest all of our energy digesting steak and potato that we had for dinner at six, seven hours, um, we can't repair the, the muscle fibers that we tear while we're working out. And we get microscopic tears. And you don't, you don't gain strength by working out, by running or biking or swimming. You gain strength by ripping tiny microscopic tears in your muscle, which you repair. So while other people are digesting the food from the energy their body gives them, I am repairing. I lifted a half a million pounds this morning. And that's not an exaggeration. We have at my gym a FitLink system, which records every single pound of weight one lifts. I wish they had that in L.A. Yeah, well, they have it in many, many gyms. You've got to look at F-I-T-L-I-N-X-X. And um, it's a wonderful system. Everything, every rep I do on every machine is recorded. So when I say I lifted a, a half a million pounds, it's not a guess. That's my goal every day. I do it. People are astounded when, when they hear that I do it. And I write a column every day. It's a free column. I have discovered something that nobody knows. And what it is is that when people get older, they lose explosive muscle strength in their, in their muscles, in their legs and arms. I now know how to get it. And uh, like I said, I'll be writing that in another week or so. Um, I am re rewinding the clock and turning back the age. And you know what? It doesn't cost you anything. I'm not selling a scheme here or a supplement that doesn't work. I'm telling you that if you work out, you're going to feel the difference in a couple of weeks. And um, you know how many muscles there are in the human body? No, Tim? no. Nobody knows. There, there are between six and 700, depending on who you speak to. And I'm feeling new muscles grow atop other muscles. I don't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, nor do I want to. But I do want those six-pack abs, and I'll have them in a few months. And my body is gaining strength. And I'm going to be 60 next year. And I'm going to do something that's going to astonish people because I know the times I'm doing and I know the workouts. I'm going to um, do an amazing thing at the New York City Triathlon. Very exciting. Why milk? Why two books on milk or even three? Um, there's probably a few more books coming on milk because milk represents 40% of what the average American eats. The United States Department of Agriculture for the last 30 years has been publishing a book every year called Food Consumption, where they take the 5,000 most common foods down to the gram, what the average American eats. Um, Judy Putnam and Jane Allshouse edit this book. And we've found that the average American every day eats a total of five ounces of meat, chicken, poultry, uh, pork, fish, of animal protein, and 29.2 ounces a day of milk and dairy. Wow. Amazing, 29.2 ounces to five ounces. By the way, multiply 29.2 times 365, that's 666 pounds a year per American. I love that number, 666. That really works for me. That's what we're eating. It's <laughs> the most dominant food in our diet, and it screws us up so badly with digestion, with mood swings, with irritability. And these are words used by, a by the Townsend Medical Letter, a letter written by doctors for doctors, a half a million get it, list listing 11 symptoms. Listen, Kim, mood swings, depression, and irritability. How many of your listeners might that describe? Raise your hand. I see you. Okay. <laughs> Mood swings, depression, irritability. If you take a pill of estrogen every day with that progestins and, and, and lactoferins and immunoglobulins and gastrointestinal peptides and hypothalamic hormones, my goodness, it can affect your behavior, and it does. Why do you say that milk has pus in it? That's really gross. It is gross, and my job is to make it sound really gross. No, but really, why pus? Explain pus it. Pus is another word for somatic cells. Um, the cow's udder filters 10,000 liters of blood through her udder each day, blood and dead bacteria. And it's dead blood cells and bacteria, which the Food and Drug Administration defines uh, how it defines pus. Pus is composed of dead bacteria and dead white blood cells. That's pus. That's that white, goopy fluid that you don't want coming out of your zits. And if you look at my website, notmilk.com, at the letter Z for zits, you're going to see how the sebaceous glands are, um, are, are, are just caused to, to make this pus and mucus coming out of those acne because of the, um, the hormones, the speci specifically a protein hormone called insulin-like growth factor. And people might wonder, hey, it's a cow. It has different hormones, than, different estrogen than human estrogen. And I would respond, well, look at, look at the horses that you don't even know about living in barns that are wrapped in gigantic diapers, and, and we collect their urine. You know what we make from their urine, Kim? 
Yes, the drug that caused cancer for many women, Premarin. Premarin. You know Mar- what Premarin, actually, where they got the name? No. It's pregnant mare urine, prem- Premarin. That's right. So they get these horses, keep them pregnant, just like they keep cows pregnant, and, and, and they're secreting pregnant mare urine, this estrogen, which they use for women. Hey, hormones from other creatures work on humans. And in the animal kingdom, we've got about 4,700 mammals and hundreds of millions of different hormones, and you're not going to find one exactly alike between two species. The odds of, of finding one exactly alike, that number is greater than the total number of, of atoms in the universe. So it couldn't happen where there's one exactly alike. Guess what, Kim? There is one. What? Human and cow share the same powerful growth hormone. It's called IGF-1. It's the subject, uh, look in the paper today about Lance Armstrong, how they're investigating the bicyclist who said he didn't take anything, or the baseball players, which the Balco investigation IGF-1 is the most powerful growth hormone in the human body. It has 70 amino acids, identical sequence between human and cow. It's also been identified as the key factor in the growth of every human breast cancer. So if you want to have a cow in your backyard and drink that IGF-1 hormone, which she naturally makes, um, it's just the wrong thing. Ready to play trivia, Kim? Sure. Okay, what country has the highest rate of breast cancer? Isn't it the United States or is it England? It's Denmark followed by Norway, Holland, and Sweden. Is that because of no sun? They, it's because they drink the most milk and eat the most cheese. When you say no sun, which country has the highest rate oh, of osteoporosis? That I don't know. You ask Denmark me? followed by Norway, Holland, and Sweden. I'll try another question. I, I, if I lose the third time, I'm not going to do this. highest rate of heart disease, oh, Highest rate of heart disease, us. No, it's Denmark, Norway, Holland, and Sweden. We'll try another one until you get it right. I want to get the fourth one right. You got it. I'm going to put two, two, two diseases. Which countries have the highest rates of diabetes and asthma? Denmark, Holland, and Norway. Yay, give that girl a shot. Right on, let's hear it. (laughs) You're a wild thing, aren't you? They don't want to debate. The last time the head of the dairy industry, Greg Miller, debated me on national television, he said, Mr. Cohen doesn't have any degree. I have a doctorate. And furthermore, the hormones in milk cannot possibly work on you because they're destroyed in the stomach. I looked at the camera on Fox Health, national TV show, and I said, well, that is certainly good news. In other words, a nursing mother passes nothing on to her infant. Is that your position, Dr. Miller, or the dairy industries? He said, well, it supplies some nurturing benefit. I said, so, the lactoferins and immunoglobulins, the higher IQ, the protection from diseases, those things don't get through because they're destroyed in the stomach. Is that what you're saying? He said, well, there's some debate. Yeah, of course there's some debate. You're an idiot, and I'm not. I'm citing real science. You're not. You're doing marketing to sell your product, and I'm telling people the problem. The problem is that people want answers to their diseases. You want to feel good? Go seven days. Don't drink any milk. Don't eat any cheese or yogurt. Not even Parmesan cheese on your pasta. And on day eight, this is part of the plan, go out and have your pizza for dinner and ice cream for dessert. And let me know how you feel on day nine, because you're going to create an extra three quarts of mucus evenly spread throughout your body, kidney, spleen, pancreas. You're going to have your mucus in your blood, and it's going to mess you up, and you better have an extra roll of Charmin nearby, because your digestion is going to be messed up. Try the not milk test for seven days. See how you feel. And everybody feels this. It's just not some people. It's everyone. You don't want three extra quarts of mucus in your body. How has the FDA responded to your work? Um, they banned me for a year that I couldn't speak with anybody there. Um, then they take many of the things seriously that I have done and said behind the scenes. They don't want to cause any political ramifications. After all, these are people who work for a living and have careers. But I found the Food and Drug Administration to be very reactive if I could send them the evidence. For example, I'll give you an example. Monsanto created the genetically engineered bovine growth hormone. Fifteen years ago, I alerted the Food and Drug Administration that they had made many mistakes um, in making it. This is something the research hadn't shown, but I had some whistleblowers. I did my own research, and I'll give you one of those mistakes. By accident, they created a new bacterium that was immune to antibiotics. And when they found out they did it, they called it a batch contamination error. In their European facility, they dumped it in the sewer system. This reads like a Michael Crichton novel. Indeed. story. They dumped it in the sewer system. I got the Centers for Disease Control to investigate, and they confirmed 
Um, the, the name of the bacteria is Staph aureus. It's meth, methylene-resistant Staph aureus, or MRSA, MRSA. Oh, you're kidding. Oh I'm not God. kidding. And the Food and Drug Administration, Marsha Larkins, God bless her, is the ombudsman at the Centers uh, at the, uh, the, um, the, the, the Food and Drug Administration in, in, in Rock, uh, Rockville, Maryland. And she took seriously what I was saying, and it went to the highest level. And because of my work, Monsanto's factory was closed for over a year I cost them myself a half a billion dollars in losses. You know what this proves? This proves that we don't live in an evil world. Because paranoid people think they'd get killed for something like that. If you cost a company a half a billion dollars, well, um, they closed the factory. Monsanto had to sell their product, to, which they did, to Eli Lilly. They no longer own the genetically engineered bovine growth hormone. They just own everything else. They've taken over the molecular structure of animals, plants. It's frightening what they're doing. And, you know, we blame it all on Monsanto, and there are two companies much larger that we don't even have a clue. It's DuPont and Dow Chemical are much larger than Monsanto, but Monsanto takes all the heat. But uh, they've got political... But they file the patents, though, Robert. Monsanto's filed a lot of patents. You know, and the funny thing is they write the patents in a different language in Portuguese, and they file them in Brazil, and it's... um, You've you got to be aware of what's, what we're doing to ourselves, and um, that's why I'm a big banana eater. <laughs> I'm a big fan of bananas and raw fruits and vegetables. Let's talk about pasteurization. Explain what it is to the audience and homogenization. I think they need to know just that first. There are, there are three methods of pasteurization, three different heat methods. The most commonly used method for milk in America is treating milk at 162 degrees Fahrenheit for 15 seconds. And that pretty much um, regulates the amount of bacteria in milk. It kills most of the bacteria. But these rod-shaped bacteria, at the first sign of heat, they form a spore. And spore is a Greek word for seed. And when the milk cools, the seed reemerges. Everybody in America knows the smell of rotten milk. You pour it down your drain on on the seventh day. On the sixth day, you drink it. It takes listeria up to 45 days to culture in your body and make you ill. I recently wrote a column, and my columns are free. You go to notmilk.com. You can, you can log on to my daily column, which represents the largest Yahoo group on the Internet. What, they, what they've done is they have created new diseases for us. They've created a mechanism. Bacteria doesn't, isn't killed, isn't controlled. And I wrote a column recently about uh, something that affects right now 40 million Americans, 30 million are women. Ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, and Crohn's disease, all caused by something not killed by pasteurization. Um, Somebody did a study where they hired a food testing lab to go into retail supermarkets and buy milk and test it for the presence of mycobacterium paratuberculosis. And what did they find? They found that half of the cartons of milk contained this bacteria that obviously was not killed by pasteurization. Kim, if you go to my book, um, I have a book, Milk A to Z, and you look at just, it's a very simple book. All it has is quotations from scientific journals. And if you go to, uh, it's like page seven or eight, um, right in the beginning, C is for Crohn's disease. Right. Um, the last reference I have there um, talks about this, and it's from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 1996. It tells you that with Crohn's disease, 100% of people with Crohn's disease tested positive for the RNA of this mycobacterium paratuberculosis, which we now know causes Crohn's. Years ago with ulcers, we thought they were caused by worry and stress. Now we know it's the H. pylori bacteria. Get rid of that. You, you, you are put a patient on the, on the stage to recovery. Well, 100% of people with Crohn's test positive to a bacterium not killed by pasteurization, which causes, causes Yoni's disease in cows. Half the herds in America have it. The average cow, 9 million cows in America, the average cow requires $200 to $180 million worth of treatment for just this one bacteria. Wow. It's disgusting stuff. If I gave you a glass of milk, I said, here, there's 100 pus cells in there. Drink it. You wouldn't. Then if I told you the truth, there's about 100 million pus cells in it. Ugh, that's what it is. It's pus with hormones and glue. And that's also your experience with cream. Oh, cream is delicious. It's to die for. It's wonderful. But that's, yeah, that's what it is. It's pus with hormones and glue. Cream is a little bit nicer because it has all that very healthy, saturated animal fat, which we definitely know is good for you. So, so that's okay. 
Well, let's talk about the diabetes side. You write that milk contributes to diabetes. How and why? Well, I'm not the only one who wrote it. In, right. in October of 1992, Scientific American, you can go to any library in America, they have these in their archives. October 92, where the, where the um, Scientific American editors wrote, the dairy industry's slogan, milk, it does the body good, sounds a little hollow these days. And they wrote that because yeah, a few months it. earlier, the New England Journal of Medicine reported that exposure to a protein in milk, bovine serum lactobumin, is a trigger for insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus. What happens is this, diabetes is an autoimmune disease. Auto means self. And what happens is when some people, and you have to have a genetic predisposition, some people eat, consume this protein, your body goes and seeks to destroy it, and the protein resembles the cells in your pancreas that manufacture insulin. So you turn upon yourself in this autoimmune disease, and uh, you kill your own insulin-producing beta cells. This is so concerning to me because children are fed these milk drinks. Once they're weaned off their mothers, they're given milk all the time, all these well, milk drinks. Canadian Health uh, Government, Health Canada, recently published a study showing that there's been a 50% increase in diabetes in children under 10 years old. What's going on here? It's not, uh, it, it, it's not anything but milk. It's, again, it's the 40% of what we eat. I take whey protein every day. Mm -hmm. In fact, I take J. Rob's whey protein every day for a protein powder because it's the most absorbable in the body. Dried blood, dried cow blood, right. So we'll talk about it. I just said it's, dry, it's dried cow blood, and, and people have reactions to this. You take out the casein, the most abundant protein in milk is casein. 80% um, of milk protein is casein. Casein, by the way, is the glue that's used to hold together the wood in your furniture. Casein is the glue that's used to put a label on a bottle of beer. So it's a tenacious glue and powerful um, antigen where your body will, eat, will sense the casein and produce... Um, produce histamines. You know what antihistamines are. Yes. And when you produce histamines, you make mucus. So that's why the consumption of milk or cheese produces mucus. Um, as far as the whey protein go, there are many autoimmune disease that, uh, and, and diabetes is one, and multiple sclerosis is another. Um, many nerve problems and fibromyalgia have been associated, and you'll find the real science on the notmilk.com website, um, how these autoimmune diseases compromise the body's integrity. So, so you, you, I don't know why you're taking whey protein, but there certainly are alternatives. But you go to any hospital in America and you ask the question, who occupies a bed because they don't eat enough protein? The answer is a big zero. We're fed this bundle of lies about how wonderful protein is. Sure, it's wonderful. But when you eat too much protein, it causes other problems in the body. You don't need that much protein. When I, when I did my triathlon, my second triathlon out in Montauk uh, on October 2nd, when the wind was 30 miles an hour and the temperature was 39 degrees, um, and I had eaten the day before 36 bananas because I needed the fructose from the bananas to produce glycogen for my muscles, well, I went the next day to watch the transitions, to watch part of the half Ironman, and it was freezing, and I wore a big blanket around me, and everybody was jealous, and when I went down to, uh, to the athletes um, half hour before the race, and there was a young woman, very skinny, she turned out to be an OBGYN in New York City, and she was shivering, and I, put my I took it off and I put it around her, and she was so grateful, and we got to talking about what we eat before the race. And she eats the traditional pasta meal, and, and I told her that, well, gluten is the, um, is the glue that's going to have you spitting up during the race. She said, what do you eat? And I said, bananas. And this doctor said to me, but there's no protein in bananas. And I said, my goodness, he got one and a half grams in every large banana, and I had 36. So I had 54 grams of protein. The World Health Organization instructs us to eat between 28 and 35 grams of protein a day. I had one and a half times that amount before my race. She said, but you're not getting the essential amino acids. And I said, well, there are 28 amino acids in nature, and 19 are made in your liver. The other nine you must get from food. And a banana has threonine, threonine and lysine and leucine and isoleucine and tryptophan. And I went down the nine. She said, I didn't know that. And I said, that's probably because they don't teach you that in medical school, which is true. They don't teach doctors a lot of things in medical school, and the big end that they don't teach them is nutrition. They know nothing about nutrition. So we're getting such incorrect advice in schools where the dairy industry spends a half a billion dollars a year putting those big posters in schools, 
and sending instructors in to teach them that they got to eat milk or their bones are going to break. But it's nonsense. Walter Willard at Harvard University, with his 82,000 nurse study, has determined that women who drank a lot of milk and ate a lot of cheese as teenagers develop higher rates of pelvic fractures than people who don't drink milk. So it's just the opposite of what the dairy industry is lying and brainwashing us to believe. Let's talk about osteoporosis, because that's a part of really what you're talking about. What is the stance for osteoporosis? Well, we find that when people eat too much dietary protein, um, they are creating an acid condition in their blood, which they have to neutralize, and they do so by leaching calcium from their bones. I spent some time with the lead researcher in the largest heart study in American history. It's called the Framingham Heart Study. His name is William Costelli. And, and, and I complimented him on his study. For 30 years, it's been going. And 30 years ago, he, he demonstrated that saturated fat was the key to heart disease. And then 20 years ago, he demonstrated that cholesterol was the key to heart disease. So I said to him, Dr. Costelli, what's the key to heart disease today? What, are, what is the leading edge? What are scientists looking at? And he didn't hesitate. He said, homocysteine. And I said, oh, homocysteine. I know that word. And I said, well, wh where do we get homocysteine from? And he said, well, you make it in your liver. And then I said, how? And at that point, he didn't know. And I said, would you mind respectfully if I tell you how? And then I repeated to him, there were 28 amino acids. Two of the 28 are different than the other 26. And that they have as their center atom, sulfur. They're methionine and cysteine. And your body, when it has lots of methionine and cysteine, it produces homocysteine, which Dr. Costelli has found is the key to heart disease. People with high levels of homocysteine have the most strokes and the most heart events. So homocysteine, the key to heart disease, where do you get it from? I analyze different protein. And the worst food after dairy that you can eat are eggs. And we all know the rotten egg smell. We, we remember it from high school chemistry class. You don't want the rotten egg smell infusing into every cell of your body. As a matter of fact, there was a comical approach on um, the TV series Sex in the City, where one of the women had a boyfriend who was perfect except for one thing. His body essence stunk, and she couldn't stand the smell. And uh, she couldn't be with him because of that. He was a chicken eater, and, and that's, that's what it's all about. We eat too much chicken. The Japanese used to call us the butter people because they could smell the rancid butter on our, on our bodies, putrefying. And you know what? Vegans, we come from another planet, definitely from the planet Vega, and it's like a secret handshake. We know who's really vegan and who's not because we can smell we smell this metallic, offensive smell come and I can't, I, I, it's hard for me to be around people who have that smell, who are the chicken eaters and the, the egg eaters and the dairy eaters. And it's something vegans know because our senses are finely attuned. I'm not making this up. Ask any vegan, though, they'll tell you. Where do you get your calcium? Well, your food is loaded with calcium. The, the, whoever decided to put 33 milligrams of calcium in, in a 100-gram portion, about three and a half ounces of human breast milk. Now, remember this number, 33 because potato chips have 40 milligrams. Beans have 50 milligrams. Chickpeas have 150 milligrams. Your food's loaded with calcium. In order to absorb one milligram of calcium, you need an equal milligram of magnesium. magnesium. Right. right. And magnesium is the center atom of chlorophyll. Do you know that chlorophyll and the protein in our blood, hemoglobin, are almost identical? No. It's remarkable, yeah. The center atom of the, 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 the hemoglobin in our blood is iron, iron-rich blood. And in, in, in chlorophyll, it's, it's magnesium. Well, you eat the dark green leafy vegetables, you're going to get much more calcium absorbed into your body than you will by drinking milk. Milk may have 118 milligrams, cow's milk, where human breast milk has 33. It may have 118 milligrams of calcium, so there's a lot of calcium. But it only has 18 milligrams of magnesium, and since it's a one-to-one -one proportion, you only absorb the 18. So um, children who are nursing, they're getting, you don't need that much calcium to build bones. There, 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 there are hundreds of events that, that um, are required to build bones. And calcium is not the key. There are many different things that happen. It's a very dynamic process, and it doesn't happen in one day. But in the presence of so much protein, we find that people actually get a negative calcium balance because of that acid condition from the methionine and cysteine. And it sounds complicated, it sounds complex, but um, it's actually rather very simple. 
your body, you're putting gasoline in your car, you're putting fuel in your body, and your body wants an easy job of digesting it. You don't want to pollute the organs in your body or the blood. You want the cleanest fuel you can get. You want something that your body can digest easily while you sleep, so if you work out hard, you can repair the muscles that you tear while lifting weights. And that's why I and other vegans like uh, Dr. Douglas Graham, who's an athlete, um, like Brendan Brazier, who is a triathlete, like Dave Scott, who won the Ironman triathlon in Hawaii five times as a vegan, because we have the ability to heal and recover better. That totally flies in the face of everything we've been taught, really. Of course it does. Everything about the protein thing, the whole protein paradigm then is off. It's completely off. And, you know, a few years ago, we were told to eat 1,000 milligrams a day of calcium. And suddenly the number changed to 1,200. At that time, I was very active with the FDA and USDA. I knew, knew a lot of people there. So when the government changed the standard from 1,000 to 1,200, I wanted to know why. I called people I knew at the FDA, and I said, why did you change it? And, and I was told we didn't change it. The USDA changed it. So I called people I knew at the USDA. Why did you change it? Uh, we didn't change it. The FDA changed it. So nobody knew who changed it. But I traced it down to who changed it. It was the National Science Foundation, and the members of the committee who changed it were people who worked for the dairy industry, people like Dale Bauman, Michael Daugaday, Greg Miller. See, I name names, and that's why they don't want to debate me. I have an open invitation to the dairy industry, so long as it's televised live, I will debate any 10 people at one time. 10 to one of your top scientists, doctors, whatever, marketing people. And, and, and i tell you something, Kim, I will turn them into large pieces of Swiss cheese with big holes. You're very courageous. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's something that has to be done, but they, they learn the smartest thing to do is ignore and avoid uh, they've made the mistake of being on TV too many times with me, and I make them look silly because I can cite the references and I can give you the logic and the scientific research behind it. I think it's great that they talk to you, though. Some of them talk to you from different organizations, right? The some, FDA? Some, some, of them, some of them do, and, and we actually share secrets together. And um, I have some very decent friends in the dairy industry and some very bitter enemies. But um, the bottom line is that these are not evil people for the most part. There are some pretty evil people out there, but, but FDA, USDA, dairy industry, imagine they're living on a farm, four or five generations, same family, same farm, and suddenly they're being told that the product they thought was wonderful is awful. So, so how are they going to feel? Pretty lousy. That's why my notmilk.com site is, is something that's taboo to them. <laughs> and they look, I have many, many people who read my email, and I, uh, FBI has become a good friend because one day somebody with plastique was, was arrested on the way to get me. Um, I see my future. It's going to be a dairy farmer with a shotgun with an IQ of 80. But for the most part, the industry is not bad. Um, I found um, Richard Nixon on March 23, 1971. I filed a Freedom of Information Act request for a Watergate tape, and I got it. And wow. Richard Nixon, yeah, Richard Nixon was visited by three members of the dairy industry bearing three million cash in two duffel bags. And it's recorded right on the tape. And John Connolly is there. He walks in, and he afterwards, and, and he says, these men are militant, they're adamant, they're going to place a lot of money into political activities, this is just a business deal, and three million cash Nixon was given. See, we never proved Nixon, when he said, I am not a crook, he was asked that question, um, how about the, the milk fund? And he said, well, I'm not a crook, you know, the Democrats are trying to raise the price of milk. The day after he got that three million cash at a cabinet session, he raised the price of milk in America 15 cents. And it may not sound like a lot, but it translated into a $300 million increase for the dairy industry. One week earlier, the Secretary of Agriculture, Cliff Harden, said there's not going to be an increase that year because we have an enormous surplus. So you see a lot of political considerations. You see people who work for the dairy industry work on the highest levels at the USDA and the FDA and on the committees that make the food pyramid. I became one of 27 people to testify at the food pyramid hearings where they decide and recommend what kids should eat in school. And, and the, the, the person running the show, Dr. Eileen Kennedy, who was an undersecretary, said, we want to know your name, we want to know your, edu your education, we want to know your organization, we want to know who funds you. So when it became my turn, I played to the cameras, I pointed my finger at her, and I said, Dr. Kennedy, the American people want to know who funds you. And everyone went, ooh, ooh, what did he say? And I said, because I've researched you. You're on the board of directors for the Dan and Yogurt Research Foundation. 
And you, Dr. Garza, you get a half a million dollars every year from USDA to promote New York State's milk extension program at Cornell University. And I went down the line. Wow. I researched their conflicts of interest. So I say again, I, I name names and I know dates and I know what they're doing and I know their marketing. What do you think about the former legal counsel to Monsanto being on the head of agriculture for Obama? His name is Michael Taylor, and Michael Taylor replaced somebody as Monsanto's counsel. Um, the man he replaced, you probably, you know attorneys, a lot of attorneys? Not these attorneys, no. Well, well, he replaced a man who used to be Monsanto's counsel by the name of Clarence Thomas. Okay. Okay, that one you know, right? Yes. Michael Taylor wrote um, a very important paper while he was working for King and Spaulding. And by the way, I sued the government, King and Spaulding, I went one-on-one against them, trying to get the study released. During the midst of my trying to get a study released, the study which every animal got cancer, every laboratory animal got cancer, authored by Richard O'Doglier and Deslex, I wanted that study released. The inspector general came out and supported me. He said it was a key study, it should be released in its entirety, but they held it back. But that year, Bill Clinton... While I was in court, signed a law, that uh, Public Law 104-273, which said that if I release a study, and I had it, if I release a study, I'll go to jail for 10 years with a $15 million fine. Bill Clinton then, in the State of the Union address, actually named and praised Monsanto for a company to bring us into the 21st century. So I kind of was fighting, uh, uh, tilting at windmills with a, with a very long lance and fighting some, some big dragons. But again, they didn't kill me. So, so we who feel paranoid sometimes, they're not evil. They're just into it for the money, and there's lots of money there. And uh, it's a multi-trillion dollar business giving us the wrong foods to eat. Kim, it's a good thing they're giving us the wrong foods to eat. You know why? Why? We're growing broke. We can't afford to live to age 80, 90. We're destroying our pension fund, Social Security. We need something to make people die sooner. Thank God for dairy. How about the vaccinations? That's pretty scary, too. Oh, that, that, that's entirely scary. There's a, a wonderful book out there by Len Horowitz. Uh, it's called Emerging Viruses. Yes, scary, and, uh, very scary. Research, yeah. Talk about what homogenization is. You talked about pasteurization. What is homogenization? Share it. Homogenization, if you look in the dictionary under the word dumb, it's the dumbest thing that we have ever done in our society because we take milk and we spray it through a filter um, with 10,000 holes at 4,000 pounds of pressure, and it creates what scientists call micronized liposomes. It makes the fat molecules between 10 and 100 times smaller. So that one pint of milk actually contains, believe it or not, trillion fat molecules. Now, these trillion fat molecules envelop these very tiny protein hormones, just like these TV commercials we used to see as kids, these cold-release time capsules. Right. They last for... 30 minutes to 12 hours, and they're protected. This hormone that we manufacture in our body, the most powerful growth hormone, IGF-1, is gone in less than a half a second when we make it in our body. And in cow's milk, it's, it's active for up to 30 minutes. It comes upon an existing cancer, and it's the key factor in its growth. Can I ask a personal question of you, Kim? I don't know. Let's see what it is. <laughs> well, you can say, no, I'm not going to tell, but since I'm going to put you on the spot, you have to tell. tell me. I'm going to be 60 next year. How old are you? Fifty-one. Fifty-one. Um, do you have cancer? No. Good. I barely drink milk at all. I have just a little bit of cream with coffee in the morning, and that's it. I don't touch milk products. Well, let me tell you something about cancer, Kim. You can look this up. November 8, 1994, New York Times published a study. It was an autopsy study about premature death, people killed in car accidents. Right. And now you're 51? Yes. They found that well, we're going to ask you another trivia question. What percentage of adults over age 50 have thyroid tumors? That I don't know, but I do take thyroid. I've had thyroid problems since I was 12. Okay, well, what percentage of adults over age 50, since you're over age 50, this might be of concern, what percentage of adults have thyroid tumors? I have no idea. Take a guess. 50%? 50%? The answer is 100%. Now, I say this to people sometimes. They go, is this guy nuts? New York Times, November 8, 1994. You can look it up online. It's free. It's on page C1. The article was written by Gina Colata, 100%. And this is terrifying because what it tells us is that cancer is really common. We usually control it. It usually is not clinically diagnosed. I thought you said thyroid problems or thyroid tumors. tumors. Tumors, okay. Thyroid cancer. Okay. Now, the same study showed that between ages 40 and 50, 
even though 1% of women in that age group are clinically diagnosed with breast cancer, 39.6 have it. Now, again, studies November 8th, 1994. Thousands of things cause cancer. Everything causes cancer. But one thing makes it grow, and the one thing is IGF-1. And again, I told you, it's made, produced, manufactured in our body. It's gone in less than a half a second. It's either proteolized or it's, 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 it's attaches to receptors and deactivated. But in cow's milk, because of homogenization, which was your question, it's protected. We have improved upon nature. Cow's milk has lots of growth hormones. By homogenizing it, we protect these hormones from degradation so they last a long time. And that IGF-1 has been identified Look at the letter B in my book, Milk A to Z, Z for breast cancer. Right. And you will be astounded at how many studies link IGF-1 as the key factor in breast cancer. And there we are drinking it in cow's milk. Milk is a hormonal delivery system and is appropriate for infants to grow. I mean, the dairy industry, the nerve of them telling you drink milk, you're going to lose weight. That's what milk was designed for, to make us lose weight. Use your head, people. Milk is a hormonal delivery system. It's responsible for growth, and that's what cancer is, growth, untamed growth. IGF-1 is the key. IGF-1 is gasoline on a fire. That's pretty powerful. Whoa. Question, this really scared me. Another thing in your book, Milk the Deadly Poison, talks about mastitis, ulcers on cow's udders. I want you to share that with the public. Typically, um, when you look at a somatic cell count, which is the number of pus cells in America, when you get up to 280,000 per milliliter, okay, that's a thimble size, um, 280,000 pus cells per milliliter, you're talking about about 35% of the herd is infected with mastitis, with these ulcers on the interior or exterior of a cow's udder. So the cow is under a lot of stress. 1960, the average cow produced eight quarts of milk a day. Today, it's about 25 quarts of milk a day. The cow is stressed. She's milked three times a day. There's very little time for her to heal. She has an effective milking life of two and a half years. 35% of the cows are sent to slaughterhouses every year. So the turnover in the herd is great because these are stressed, stressed creatures with the ulcers on their udders, with leukemias and, and cancers that, that have to be cut out of the flesh before they're used for dog food. And um, why do you think all your dogs are dying of cancer? Um, when we eat these things, they all go to the slaughterhouse, and they all go very early. Some of them can't even walk in because their bones are depleted. I think it's terrible how we treat our animals. Seriously, the whole agribusiness is very, very painful for me to think about and talk about. Horrendous. How these animals are treated you know is something? terrible. I'm an animal rights guy, but I am first for compassion to people. Yeah. People come first in my book. Maybe Ingrid Newkirk and PETA animals come first, but to me, people come first. And by eating the animals, we compromise every tissue and organ and blood in our body. And that's it. We're eating dirty fuel with all of that sulfur and all of those diseases. And um, it's natural that we're going to get them and we're going to compromise our bodies and our health. And, and again, that 20 years we spend dying shouldn't be that way. And, and I'm proving now in my own personal life, I'm rewinding my clock. I've gotten 10 years younger this year, and I'm going to get 10 years younger next year. You obviously drink a lot of green juices and eat salads, correct? Oh, yeah, sure. How much fruit do you eat a day? Um, maybe fifth, minimum of 15, 20 portions a day, but primarily bananas. I mean, I've discovered the perfect food. And um, I'm a big fan of variety. So if you looked in my refrigerator now, you'd see freshly cut pineapple and papaya and, and, and other melons. There are gaya melons in there and watermelon and all of these different uh, grapes and strawberries and blueberries and bananas. I'm uh, a big fan of that stuff. And I found different ways to prepare them. For example, if you take red grapes, seedless grapes, and you just take them off the vine and put them in a container and put them in the freezer... It's like eating ice cream. They're soft. They're not like ice cubes. And they're wonderful. It's like eating candy. You want those, those magic substances like broccoli, the diphyocyanates, and the, 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 the saponins and the lignins and the protease inhibitors and substances we know prevent our cells from getting old. That's what you want to do. You want to stay healthy, and fruit's the way to go. Let's talk about yogurt, Robert. Let's talk about the National Yogurt Foundation and... Where you're at, because so many people eat yogurt and think that it's good for them and it's good for lactobacillus. Talk about it. The year was 1969. I'm taking you back. 
I was a New York Knicks fan, and I remember a commercial, Dan and Yogurt, having Willis Reed from the New York Knicks eating a container of Dan and Yogurt, every bite you saw him taking, until he got to the bottom. He didn't even mix up the fruit. That idiot, he didn't know to mix up the fruit. Um, they're marketing a product that they tell you the Hunzas in Afghanistan um, live to be 100, over 100 years old, healthy. And when the Hunzas were first discovered, they were in their 60s. And the next year they were in their 70s, and the next year they were in their 90s because they loved the attention and they loved the money that the Dan and Yogurt Foundation brought in. And it's a lie. It's a con. It's not a major part of their diet because they don't have refrigerators up there in the mountains. And they can't refrigerate and cool and keep this bacteria, this naturally occurring bacteria from growing. It's delicious, but I challenge you to go to the supermarket today and read the ingredients on a container of yogurt. It's not just milk. It's artificial stabilizers like carrageenan, which, by the way, are used to de-ice airplane wings in the wintertime. That's and frightening. emulsifiers, and it's just additives, and it's garbage. But it's delicious-tasting garbage, and that's what we like. We like delicious-tasting stuff. That's frightening, what you just said. <laughs> well, you know something? It's reality. And that, that's why, again, I back up everything I say. Forget the science. Forget my claim. Forget the dairy industry's claim. Prove it to yourself. Seven days, zero dairy. Nothing that comes out of a cow's udder. You're allowed to eat the udder. But no ice cream, no yogurt, no whey protein, none of this stuff for seven days. And on day eight, you're going to prove it to yourself. Have that pizza and ice cream and see how you feel on day nine. It all returns, all of that internal fog, I call it. You don't want to live with an internal fog every day of your life for the next 40, 50 years. What do you think about the fact that they're now forcing the pasteurization of almonds? Oh, Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I hate the fact that they pasteurize apple cider. I can't get good apple cider. I have to make my own, which is fine. Um, but there are certain things. They pasteurize them because they don't store them in clean warehouses, and rats come in and um, leave their fe fecal droppings on the almonds, and people who eat them get salmonella and E. coli, which are bacterium, which live in the colon of animals. So um, rather than I I increase the ability to keep safe foods, they um, are pasteurizing it. They let the disease come, and then they pasteurize it. It's nonsense, and it takes away the goodness of uh, many of these foods. Very excited to have you on the show today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the public, Robert? Only that I'm falling in love with you, <laughs> and I think that you're the greatest. Thank you. And last but not least, I think you should cut out the whey protein. I'm going to try my experiment, please. Don't forget day eight, have that pizza and ice cream. Okay. Pay careful attention to every part of your physiology and every emotion on day nine. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, listening to, and learning from Robert Cohen, the author of the book Milk, the Deadly Poison, and Milk A to Z. He has other books, and you can find out more about his work by going to notmilk.com. Robert, thank you so much for sharing your huge commitment to educating us about milk products and protein products from animals. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Kim Greenhouse, you are my hero. Thank you. Thank you, Robert.